the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Thursday. It is preview time. Second round of the FCS playoffs. Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher. We are all ETSU, all Kennesaw State, all podcasts you can handle. Some bold predictions. We may or may not touch on something else. Depends on how long we go on this. If we have time, maybe we'll give you a, uh, I don't know, 10-second, 15-second thought on other games. Uh, but we may not. We may just spend the whole time on this, get really jacked up for it. Uh, go back and forth on our thoughts, give a bold prediction, and, and move on. And uh, we may not talk about anything else because do I really care about anything else at this point? No, I care about Saturday, 2 p.m., ETSU kicking off second-round action, Kennesaw State. Your thoughts, go. Well, I have about uh, probably 30 or 35 minutes of thoughts on this game myself. So the fact that that's how much show there might be, and that's just me, and I'm considering what you have, and I see that you have a lot of stuff in front of you as well. Um, this could be a marathon. This could be an epic one. I do have a little. I bit think it deserves other. a second it round. It does, it's absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's not even a first round playoff game. You got the bye. Second round, you're what? How many wins away from a national championship? Let's start the countdown now. Forget everything about this game. Let's start the countdown now. National championship. It's four. Forget if I'm not mistaken. Four. Okay. Right. 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 Sixteen, 16 eight, eight, four, two. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I don't even want to count. I just give us okay. the championship. I don't know why that makes sense. Don't even play a tournament. Just no. go ahead, crown us. Denny Green, crown us. We got the SEC win. You know, Kansas State didn't beat their Power 5 opponent. I mean, that seems like a by law of whatever. Siamese uh, law of what? No, it's Einstein's law. No, that's the law. I have no idea. Transitive property, that's it. Okay, transitive property. Even though I don't think that makes sense here either. I'm not sure that makes sense. This is how jacked up we are. When Mike Gallagher, who is very good at English, is looking at me and asking me what is a law or what something means. That's how I know you've turned a corner, that you've sort of out of your gorge where you're before in this game. I'm ready for the game. Yep. Let's talk about it. All right. First thing I want to start with is, number one, I know, and everyone has taken a screenshot or done whatever and been very confused on the line. And I know we're not gamblers. We don't want to talk, but we, we do touch on their our lines and what people think are going to happen, right? And Kennesaw State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite last screenshot I got. I am going with Vegas's job is to figure out how to get half the people to bet on one team and half the people to bet on the other. And in the scheme of things, if you took everything as is and ETSU playing at home, you would assume ETSU would be a favorite. The only counter I have to that and why I think Kennesaw State has been listed as the favorite is they are 5-3 and three in the playoffs. They've won a road games to get to quarterfinals in 2017 and 2018. They are 2-2 two and two on the road, and their two wins on the road got them into the quarterfinals. So they've been in this position, playing a seeded team, and be able to win that game and move on. ETSU has one playoff appearance, 2018, and then, of course, back to 1996, which Wednesday celebrated the 25th anniversary of the win over Villanova before they lost in the – that was a – Round of 16, they didn't have 24 back then. And the other thing I would throw out there was the stat of if you take out last year, because there were not 24 teams, since the implementation of 24 teams, the seeded teams have only gone undefeated 8-0 one time, and that was in 2018. The other four years, they have gone 5-3 and three every time. 5-3, and 5-3, 5-3, 8-0, 5-3. Last year didn't count because it was spring. So I find that interesting that there's one 8-0 and then three upsets the other four years. So I don't know. And, of course, that means in the scheme of the world absolutely nothing. But in the same token, it's like an NCAA tournament, 5 over 12, right? Just 5 over 12. There's always stuff where it's like, well, why is it 12? Like that? Well, they know at some point in time 5 over 12. So I'm going with Kennesaw State has more of a national pedigree in the playoffs ETSU is still an unknown, and yes, I realize what they've done in the past to this doesn't mean anything, but I'm going with they are trying to get people to take both sides of the action, if you will. And that's why I think Kennesaw State is favored because they have history of winning in the playoffs, and ETSU is still out of the 16 teams left, probably them and UT Martin, the two Tennessee schools, are the two teams that people have the least knowledge of because traditionally – They've not been in the playoffs or for ETSU for 13 years, even have a program. Or 12 years, whatever it was. I think it's even a little bit simpler than your ultimate conclusion if they're trying to draw people in for some action. I actually thought the line was a little low 
in favor of Kennesaw State. You just heard me proclaim ETSU national champions on the air. Like, obviously, I'm all in for the Bucks, but when you sent me that line on Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was, I said back to you, that's it? I was surprised because of that exact point that you made. ETSU has been here once. It was against Jacksonville State. And you look over their history. What is this, playoff game number four? I think so. Yes, four, because Villanova, Montana, Jacksonville State, not Tennessee, yes, four. It is literally the first game ever at home in December in program history. Correct. There is, there is not the pedigree. There is not the track record. And whether we like it or not on this show, and whether Blue and Gold fan base is across Buck Nation like it or not, Kennesaw State has a track record of success, and specifically success against the Southern Conference. You're not going to hear me defend Kennesaw State on pretty much anything the rest of the show, but when I saw two and a half, I was actually encouraged because I thought that it would be even more swayed based on history towards Kennesaw State. And we know that there is some element of that that goes into these lines. We're, we're not new to this. We're not someone that just strolled in off the streets of college athletics or professional athletics, any athletics that hasn't looked at these type of things before, it is very clear that when a team is experienced, they have players, they have, there is a team that you have heard of, there is someone that has won at a high level, as Kennesaw State has, regardless of who they beat, regardless of who they played, regardless of what conference that they are from, the perception in sports at every level is that it is different in the postseason. And if ETSU has been in one playoff game since they've been back and they lost, and Kennesaw State has, as you just rattled off, won at a high level in the playoffs and have proven themselves against some of the Southern Conference's best over the years, I'm 100% in agreement with you, but I even think you're underselling it a little bit. I was expecting it to be a five- or six-point line on this game. So that, that's where just start with that generic Also, their only loss is to Georgia Tech. I mean, they've beaten every other team. Right, they're 10-1 FCS. I mean, and they've give won, a little bit of credit here. They've won all their road games, right? And, and we could argue over the, the quality of opponents. I mean, I think they play two teams, including Georgia Tech, two teams with a winning record, which was the last two weeks, the de facto Big South Championship game that was going on about the same time that we had the de facto um, Southern Conference Championship game, ETSU Mercer. They were playing Monmouth, the winner, outright champion. And then last week, Davidson. Davidson, the Pioneer League, non-scholarship. So if you want to look at the scholarship teams, they played winning record. Okay, I'll give you that, and that one was at home. So they've not played a quality opponent. Now you can say, and I'm not saying Georgia Tech isn't a quality opponent. For an FCS-level team, it is a quality opponent in a bye game because it, you're playing a team with massive budgets and things, and you're playing at their place. So, yes, there. Um, yeah, as much as someone right off the Vanderbilt would because oh, they're not a good FCS or FBS program. Uh, the SEC, they're terrible. Bottom, it doesn't matter because of those factors that you just said. I mean, it, it would. I mean, yes, there are FCS teams that were very successful, sixteen wins. But over the scheme of all the FBS versus FCS, every single year, the number of games won and lost by bad FBS teams over pretty good FCS teams, or the FCS teams that are good enough to beat those teams, I mean, are just minuscule. So let's That's don't kid ourselves. Yes, and let's don't kid ourselves. And so they've won all their FCS games on the road, and I think that that is important. I think this will be, the, and I think they would say that. I'm not to co- not talk Coach Bonham, but this will be the best road test via Georgia Tech, or other than Georgia Tech, I should say. Well, here's the other. All right, give it to me. Wofford. Longest losing streak in their history in conference play. Hampton, they're not good. No, they're not. At Campbell. I know, and the Campbell spo- was supposed to have a good year, but I think they were 500. At Robert Morris. Yeah, they're not very good. At North Alabama, who are new to Division One. No, yes, North Alabama is new to Division One, And Chattanooga, I think, spanked them at North Alabama 20 to 20 nothing. To yeah, okay. So, the good, let's go over some – because two different thoughts, and we, we were at nauseum on Monday about how to do a program. But for Kennesaw State, how they did it, it's hard to argue. You know, yes, they're the best team in the Big South, and you can argue, well, what's the Big South? But I would say they're still winning. It. They're still winning all their games. They've won playoff games. So they have proven that they are a very good team and what I would say not a very good conference. I think that's fair to Agreed. say. So they've been ranked nationally including this week now, 59 straight weeks. 
dating back to Week 9, 2017, when they finally got in the top 25. 71 straight games with 150 rushing yards. Now, that's what they do, right? 79 out of 80 in every game they've played. They've had 80 games in history. 79 times they've got to 150 or more yards. Big South Championships back-to-back 2017, 2018, one again in 2021. Um, 29 and 8 over seven seasons in the Big South. So, again, that includes the first couple years where they got beat a lot. They've not lost many games in the Big South the last four or five years. So, you can still say, well, it's not a good league. Well, okay, but they're still beating and winning every game. So, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And, again, I go back to playoff wins, which we'll talk to here in a little bit. First run win over Davidson. Coach Bohana now is tied for most wins in Big South Conference history, which is funny because this could be their last Big South game. If he wins, he's going to set a record going out the door, as we will have a commissioner for the Big South Conference and former North Florida AD Lee Moon, who's a Marshall guy who hired Robert Harper, who will tell me a nauseam and will be so excited. That, oh, no, he's not going to see Lee Moon. He's going to be upset. But Ted Gumbart. Our good friend, Lennox Sun Conference, is going to be sitting side by side. So that's always kind of interesting as one team's going out the door representing the league and moving into a new league. But for Coach Bohannon, congratulations to him on that. Xavier Shepard might be the best dual threat, and I use that in quotes because it's not the traditional dual threat, but he leads FCS with 23 rushing touchdowns. He is second in the nation points per game. He's first in total points and total responsible touchdowns in the Big South. He's top five nation. And he set a record for 15 touchdown passes. So that's 38 scores he's directly responsible for. 23 rushing, 15 touchdown passes. Not your traditional dual threat. But when you look at Kennesaw State and you look at these option teams, it always starts with the QB or the B-back. Normally, if you're completely run heavy and allergic to throwing the ball at all, it's all B-back. If you do throw the ball some, then it's usually quarterback heavy. This is a one that's not afraid to take shots down the field and throw, and this is, it doesn't sound like a lot, but throw nine passes a game. That's a lot considering that Georgia Southern a few years ago, when still FCS and in the Southern Conference beat Florida without throwing a pass in the swamp. So that being said, he's not a traditional dual threat, quarterback, but when you account for 38 touchdowns, that has to be eye-opening to anybody and for Billy Taylor. Averaging about 100 yards passing per game, had 14 pass TDs to three interceptions, which is about Tyler Vidal's ratio in the regular season, had 836 rush yards and 19 rush TDs going into the playoffs. Then, you mentioned 23, four more against Davidson. Only had 15 rush yards, but incredible the effect that he still had in the game in that way. And was 4 of 5, 115 yards through the air and a touchdown the year or two. I don't think he's going to win the Walter Payton Award. I think that's Cole Kelly from Southeastern Louisiana because the stats are absolutely unbelievable, but I think that if Kelly was not in play, that Shepard, Quay Holmes, some others have a very, very strong case. Could be a top-five finisher. I think Holmes will definitely be a top-five finisher. We can talk on that later if we want. It, it is pretty incredible to see how this team is made up. And I asked Coach Sanders about it on the coach's show last night when talking about why they are better and in a way different than the Citadel and Wofford at what they do, right? Because my instinct is not seeing Kennesaw State a ton, not knowing the program a decent amount and watching them here and there, you can gather what they're built on and the foundation, what they try to do. But I think the first thing that everyone would tell you is triple option offense. That's what they are. Outside of maybe saying, look, they get to the playoffs a lot, they have a you know great history as short as it may be and a lot of success in that time. I think you say triple option offense, right? Looking at what they've done successfully over time, it obviously resembles that, but it is more. From day one, they've been top six in the nation in rushing offense, leading it twice. Okay, not surprising, right? When we say day one, we mean day one against DTSU 2015. Top five in the country every year in pass yards per completion. A little bit more surprising, still not ridiculously so, because you know that in a triple option offense, you're looking for the big chunk plays, right? Makes a lot of sense. And just to back that yep. up for fans real quick, think about this, that Megatron, right, Calvin Johnson and Demarius Thomas, two NFL guys, one's already a Hall of Famer, yep. Georgia Tech triple yep. option. So just to throw that out there, 
it's a myth that they don't throw the ball, they don't have receivers, they don't go down the field, they can't do whatever they can at the big play. Just to back up his statement, to put it in people's minds, because I know that they've heard of those two players of nothing else. Well, even taking it down to a SOCON level, I've talked to people in the Citadel that have said Raleigh Webb has gotten NFL looks. Now, Raleigh Webb is not Calvin Johnson or Demarius Thomas. He's not at an FBS level, but because he is skilled in the way that he is, because he is an athlete the way that he is, he gets attention, even though he isn't a triple option offense and one that is not nearly as recognized as Georgia Tech. They've led the nation four times in pass yards per completion. Keep in mind, they've been a program for, what, seven years now, if you include the spring. Um, 13th or better every year in tackles for loss allowed top 10 in third down conversion percentage all but twice. The impressive part for me is the tackles for loss allowed because they run it so, so much. That means that they have very few negative plays, meaning they have a lot more manageable down and distance, meaning they can be top five in the nation in third and fourth down conversion percentage. This year alone, they're top ten in the nation in third down conversion percentage, fourth. Fourth down conversion percentage, first. Passes intercepted. They don't turn it over in that way, but as you're going to talk about in a bit, they do find ways to give the ball away. Sixth in the nation in fewest passes intercepted. Yards per completion, again, first. Rushing offense, second. Sacks allowed first. Makes sense. Tackles for loss allowed, seventh. Passing efficiency. That should also tell you something. Yeah, they're going to take their shots, but they're not going to waste their shots. They're going to hit the big play more often than not when they go over the top. If you see the yards per completion high, the passing efficiency low, that's an erratic passing game and one that isn't hitting on all cylinders. That's not the case with them. Red zone defense, which I'm very intrigued by, first in the country, and then miscellaneous items, fewest penalties per game, uh, they're eighth in the country, punt return defense, third in time of possession, seventh. There's a lot there. I think it boils down to the fact that they do not have a lot of negative plays consistently. They found a way to avoid that, making third and fourth downs manageable, keeping drives alive, dominating the clock in that time of possession stat, and also being able to hit the big pass at a high clip. Before we talk about negative plays, I want to stick on the fourth down. Pretty incredible. 22 to 27 <laughs> this year. I'll give you another stat that uh, that was buried deep in their notes that I wish they would have had higher up because when I found that, I was like, I would have this higher up. But there's only been five games in the history of Kansas State football they've not attempted a fourth down. Twice against point in which they were up sure, 70 or something. Yeah. Presbyterian College in 2018. Gardner-Webb and Robert Morris in 2021. So shocked that there's a couple – more recent um, and you know league games for them that they were able to do it, but that is one of the more impressive drives. And of course, you mentioned the third down, the success in the first seven seasons. How about this? And again, to show you, this isn't three yards in a cloud of dust type team. Sixty-three scoring drives of one minute or less. They had seventeen a program high in 2019. This year, they have eight scoring drives of one minute or less. They also have. 46 one-play drives. <laughs> 46 of them. In their school history. <laughs> 80 games. That's all, That's a half, right? More than, yeah. A little more than a half, half per game. game. Yeah, that's one, unbelievable. That's crazy. So, uh, it's unbelievable. In 20 of the last 38 games, they've had a one-play drive. They had three one-play drives at Missouri State during the 2019 season, which I think was the playoff game. But I, I can go back and look that up later. That, that means it. All right, so some of these stats are just uh, – now, the reason why I think they are a little more successful than the Citadel right now, I think, is speed. I think they get to recruit and have a 100-mile radius of just athlete upon athlete upon athlete. And my guess is you don't necessarily mean, because I think people will hear speed and say, well, you know, Mike just said Raleigh was fast. You're not necessarily talking about at skill positions only. I'm, I'm talking all 22. Right. Uh, the the lines the you know they pull guy I mean just the the speed and the difference is the physicality of the Citadel and the physicality of Wofford is what generally makes them tougher. It's not necessarily the speed option game. It's more the fact that they beat you down with big B backs that go hammering away, and then they get mismatches, and then you can get somebody on the edge. The problem is. I think if you put a foot race on the 22 Kennesaw State players and say Citadel Wofford lineup run go, it just jumps off the page the speed that they have, and I think that is just a pure makeup of where they are located, and it's a state school 
where you're talking about a small private school Wofford, you're talking about the Citadel, you've got to want to be a military guy, right? You've got to accept. It's just, it's just different. And that doesn't mean I'm, that Jalen Adams can't pick, pick it up and put him down with the best of them, right? I, I'm not saying it, but I think the biggest difference is that there's just more speed all over the field. And they have smaller, quicker guys, I think, to fit that type system in the particular triple option that they are running. And we saw this with Paul Johnson when he was at Georgia Southern. You had Adrian Peterson, they had these big backs, they kept going at it. At Navy, they didn't have that. They couldn't get those guys. So they went a little more speed when they went to Georgia Tech, they had bigger guys. I think Kennesaw State, when they started the program, couldn't get the big guys. And then Coach Bohannon's figured out, hey, I can get speed upon speed and just, you know, we've found success that way. And so when they get a play a Wofford or a Citadel or that, it was really triple option versus triple option, but it was more of a power triple option versus more of a speed triple option. That would be my assessment of a layman's terms of watching it because the generality of the plays are always about the same in the concepts. There's just some little wrinkles where what does the guard do? What does the tackle do? Those guys are quick, can pull, can go. And we saw the Citadel take advantage of some of their smaller guards with physicality when they did the counter option with, with Jalen Adams. Now, I'm sure Kennesaw has seen that, been able to look at that. How all option teams would be stopped. If we had Matt Wilgham on here, he would break it down at nauseum uh, for 37 minutes about just the line, the alignment and everything. But it basically gets down to getting them off schedule. Can you get a negative play? Can you stuff a play at the line? Can you get a neg- you know, can you knock them back a few yards? I think the big thing is for Kennesaw State, if they attempt to pass, do they complete it? Because if they don't, they're already behind what they want to do. The other thing you can do is if you bottle up the triple option and just you know, either hit the point of contact, have all three guys covered up, you're able to make a tackle. But what really has hurt Kennesaw State, which is what you alluded to, the turnovers. 25 fumbles. 14 were lost. Well, why are the other 11 a big deal? Well, because those are going to be negative plays. Almost all the games I have seen where there has been a fumble, there's been one exchange. There was one bad snap that somehow shot out 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage in a North Alabama game, which I think is just an anomaly. The other ones I've seen, one bad exchange between the B-back, the fullback, and the quarterback, the rest have been pitches. And so when a pitch goes awry, I mean, you're already talking, unless it happens late down the field, which I've not seen, it's always happened at the line of scrimmage, and it's been recovered, that's a 6, 8, 10-yard loss. Well, now you're talking about second and 20. So, And I know Wofford converted some ridiculous play on an option play on the third and long or whatever it was, but – for the most part, you're not going to be successful doing that. So if ETSU can get on Shepard quickly, he tends to not be very comfortable making the quick pitch. Now, when he's able to run down the line, he's got one defender, the defender takes him, he's very good at making that pitch. But if he takes one or two steps and he's not had enough time to assess everything, and this is where the highlights that made the rounds, the Darren Artist, where you catch him with a corner blitz where guys in there, and then – there's a pitch, and yes, that wasn't a bad pitch. That was just Aaron Artis uh, tried to commit. Right, someone's yes, uh, illegal homicide, if you will. So uh, you have a play like that where a linebacker comes free, a nickelback, something, you catch them on the right thing, they're going to put the ball on the turf. And, it, and even if it's not on the turf, there'll be a pitch behind somebody. We've seen a couple where the, uh, I think, Cannon number three has done a great job twice of, like, tapping the ball up in the air to himself just to keep it in play, but he still lost six, eight yards. So I, I think that's where ETSU can make headway because at some point they're going to get three, four, six, eight yards. But when you get that first negative play, can you capitalize on that? And converting third downs on the other side of the ball for ETSU will be paramount as well. Yeah, Ian Cousins is who you're talking about. And, and I said Cannon, right? Cousins. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that's almost what makes it more impressive that they're able to convert such a high rate on third and fourth down is if you do have, you know, however many X amount of those – Big losses, right? Eight, ten yards, because you're right. I mean, those fumbles are going to result in if it's not recovered by the opponent, you're going to keep it, but it's going to be, you know, what, second and 20 or, you know, third and 16 or whatever. Uh, that they're still converting at such a high rate with all of that thrown in and the fact that they have had so many of those big uh, negative plays, uh, that has just been enveloped by a mountain of efficiency when it comes to not only the run game, but obviously as we talked about the pass game as well. Cousin is the one I'm really interested to see 
because he's averaging 11 yards per carry. I mean, that's a first down every time you touch him. That is absolutely absurd. I would get, you know, Jacob Sailors is averaging, what, like seven and a half carry right now. And, I mean, one of the best backs to ever do it at ETSU, one of the best backs at the mid-major level. I talked to Ryan Bohan earlier today, and he said, look, we got to be sure that we understand that it is not just Quay Holmes. Because, obviously, Holmes gets the headlines. He's a Walter Payton Award finalist. He led the nation in rushing yards during the year. He is the single season and all-time rushing leader at ETSU. He's got all the accolades, but if you don't look quite deep enough, and if you're a player and you just think, oh, I'm, I'm going to get that guy. You know, I'm, I'm going to get the guy that they trot out there, you know, what, uh, two of every three carries uh, to, to run in. He's their guy. And you don't realize that Jacob Sailors is the single game rushing leader. He said that, like, what, three, four weeks ago, and he's the all-time leader in yards per carry that, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. Um, but Cousin, on the other side, I mean, 11 per carry, 7.5, phenomenal for Jacob Sailors. I've heard of, you know, 7 or 8 in an option offense, and, and you can almost reason your way to that, right? Like, it's still a lot. But 7 or 8, okay, you know, I, there's just a lot of deception there. There's some trickery, and you're just finding those gaps. Defenses are confused. 11 is to a completely different level. Um, so, obviously, containing him is going to be big because he's had a lot of games where it's like, you know, 4 for 35, 3 for 54, um, 6 for, you know, 70 or 80. It, it's pretty incredible. Now, talking all the good about Kennesaw State. Obviously. Can I give one more good for you transition? You really want to give him another good? One more. Okay. Just d- defensively, because Evan Thompson, I think, deserves it. Linebacker set school record 17 tackles, 10 consecutive. Uh, he had four consecutive games, 10 or more tackles. Um, over 100 tackles. He's the backside, he's the weak side linebacker, backside. So it's interesting because they sort of plug up the holes and let him run and make plays. The other interesting fact about Evan Thompson I want to bring up, he is the holder. Really? When was the last time you had a linebacker hold on field goals and extra points? I have no idea either, but but that being said, a very talented kid. I think defensively, he's all big South performer. If you're looking at their defense and you're thinking, man, who on the defense do you need to be aware of? Who could stop you? Who could wreak havoc? And from a weak side linebacker position, I mean, think about basically Jalen Porter, the, the backside linebacker, right, if you want to put it into into that. No, no, I'm sorry, it's not. He's a strong side linebacker. Him and Blake Bacher would be strong side. You're talking about if DeAndre Davis led you in tackles. You know, with with 17 in a game or 10, like that, that's an amazing, different defensive scheme than what you see normally. It's either the middle linebacker, strong side linebacker, not generally the weak side linebacker. So I think that's interesting there. The other thing, um, I would say they got a talented twin group. Their strong side linebacker is Garland Bernard. His twin brother uh, Gabriel Bernard returned the first ever punt back for a touchdown in Kennesaw State history. And so special teams, their field goal kickers, all big south. Um, he's actually first kicker, I think, at Kennesaw State over 200 points. He's fourth all-time on the scoring list. I know he missed an extra point last week, but Nathan Robertson is also there. Now I'm done talking about Let's talk bad. Okay, I got a good one, too. They have never allowed more than 21 points per game in a year. Last five years, it hasn't been above 18 per game. Okay, we're done. We're done okay. with positive. All right, let's go. They don't play well when they don't need to. Now, I know that doesn't necessarily apply to this Saturday. At least I wouldn't think. But they've had a couple of close calls this year. They gave up a touchdown with 43 seconds left against Gardner-Webb, and we're down 30-27. to 27. Game was over, right? You give them a touchdown, 43 seconds left, and you're down. Uh, it's done. But they got a kicker turn out to the 40, three big completions, and actually got a touchdown with 11 seconds left. Took them basically no time at all. It wasn't a field goal to tie, in overtime. Got a touchdown and one in regulation. A 4-7 and seven Gardner-Webb team that went 2-5 and five in the Big South. Then against UNA, a team that went 3-8 and eight overall, 2-4 and four in the Big South. Second to last week of the regular season. Give up a field goal with three minutes left. Down 24-21 going to the final minute. Four-minute offense for the Owls when they took over. Get a couple of big completions, a big run, and then a Shepard touchdown to close. The ETSU never blows anyone out argument that people seem to want to chirp about on Kennesaw State's side. Now, 
you and me will parade the stat around continuously. Two-thirds of games that Randy Sanders has coached in have been one-score games. But pot kettle. You as a Kennesaw State fan cannot say, UTSU never blows anyone out. The Bucks also have not had to come from behind late against teams with losing records when you're playing at home. Yeah, they had the last second touchdown against Furman. Say what you want about, about Furman this year. I mean, they were 6-5. and five. Uh, You and me have obviously had our conversations about Furman, and you were more in support of them than I was. I, I didn't think they were much this year, at least compared to what their expectation was. But they finished with a winning record. Sanford, okay. Had to get the field goal to set it to overtime. But that was on the road. One of those two games, Gardner-Webb, North Alabama, you were at home, and you had to come from behind in the final minute. A team that you should have blown out. You should have blown out both of them. But it has been strange to see throwing the Reinhardt game even. 35-25 against the 91. 10-point win. I mean, that wasn't exactly convincing either. So, as a Kennesaw State fan or a supporter, whatever those on that side that are saying, he just never blows anyone out. Uh, they're not a good team. Uh, look, they have to go down to final seconds against every conference opponent. The SoCon is garbage. Um, you can't possibly have that argument when you're in the Big South, a stepping stone league. Teams are in and out whenever they have a little glimmer of success. The only ones that stay either don't have football or their football programs have been mediocre at best forever. You cannot use that argument when your team barely beats the worst teams that they face. Triple option out in front versus coming from behind, right? It's the the way the system, when they can run away and hide. They get off to great starts last two weeks against Monmouth, 21 nothing. I believe it was same 21 nothing versus Davidson. And then it was kind of weird to watch them let both teams immediately score when it went up 21 nothing. Monmouth returned to kick to make it 21-7. A three-play 84-yard drive and a 54-yard touchdown for Davidson. And then Davidson was able to to get a one-play drive, I think a 61 yards, right after the next score. So it was 27 to 14 at that point. Monmouth took a little more, but it's the difference between that system is made to run away and hide and try to make you do things you don't want to do because they'll limit possessions, they'll do whatever. The problem for the triple option is if they're not in front, then they've got to try to go out the norm and making them go the length of the field to score like North Alabama did and watching Kennesaw State do it shows you that they are a good football team and are not going to panic and do things that maybe they're not comfortable with. Similar to, I don't think ETSU's offense is built on Tyler Rodell. Hey, I need you to throw 14 straight passes, get down the field, and score against Furman. That, that's clearly not what ETSU wants to do. So both teams have the ability or have shown the ability to do – things late in the game that's not necessarily what they want to do throughout the game. ETSU has the ability, other than one Kennesaw State fan that doesn't seem to believe it, to throw the football. And they will mix it up and try to take advantages and take shots, but let's be honest, they still want to run the football. But ETSU, because they are a little bit more balanced, they are obviously skewed run, but they're a little more balanced that they're able to do some things that would help them in a comeback situation. Kennesaw State has to get out of their norm if they get behind, if ETSU obviously falls 21 points early, they're able to throw, they're able to do some things, they could do whatever. If Kennesaw State falls behind 21 points, that's a whole different animal. Now, I can't think of other than Division One teams. I've not seen many teams that have been able to jump on them 21 points or 17 or whatever, something that's a three-score difference that would allow Kennesaw State to – have to panic and try to do things out of their norm. And that's why they have been very successful because they've been able to keep things within striking distance if they've not been playing well. I think 14 nothing was their biggest deficit this year, and that was against North Alabama. Um, I have to go back and double-check the specific line score for Gardner-Webb, but I know um, North Alabama was up a couple of touchdowns early in the first half, and then Kennesaw State kind of got things going, got a score on the board, and then kind of went – for tap back and forth, but I don't believe 
Gardner-Webb was up 10 nothing, 14-49 to go in the second, but then it was never more than – KSU led a lot of the rest of the game after they tied it at 10. So, so that's sort of my point. Uh, they've done a great job of – they had to come back from 14 very early moments. So if ETSU jumped out 14 points in the first quarter, Kansas State's not going to panic. They don't have to – nobody should panic, honestly. Um, if you're in the playoffs because you're a good football team, you should have to do that. But if ETSU got up 21 – in the mid-second quarter, now all of a sudden I think Kennesaw State's got to start thinking, of, okay, we're going to need some bigger plays. They're going to need some more possessions, and it changes things dramatically. Flip side, if ETSU were to go down three scores, you know, they're going to throw the ball more. They're going to do some things, and then they've got to pray to get some stops because Kennesaw State is not going to throw the football at that point. They're going to try to grind it out. ETSU has a – nobody has a great shot down 21 points. But if it gets I to I don't three, think that's how the game's going to go. I don't think so either. If one team gets out to that, then ETSU would have more of a shot to get back in it because of how they're built. But that also means you'd have to come up with some stops. But if you can get up two scores in this game, and I'm saying two touchdowns, not necessarily ten points, but if you can get up 14 points in this game at any point, I feel like in a playoff game, second round, with the way these teams want to play, I feel like there's going to be a huge disadvantage, and ETSU is the best at turning, second best in turnovers force and turnover margin. James Madison's the only team that's got them in both those categories. ETSU's plus 13. Now, Kennesaw State's plus one, so they've done a good job of getting turnovers. The problem is uh, they have, what, we mentioned the 14, they've thrown six. They've got 20 turnovers. They've forced 21. They've got 20 turnovers that they've given up in 12 games. They're almost, you know, a little under two a game where ETSU has nine turnovers in the 11 games. And so if ETSU hangs on to the football, Kennesaw State coughs it up two, three times, which they've been prone to do, I think that's an issue. The other thing is Kennesaw State is very good in punt, punt coverage, gets that in the game, but they beg people to return kicks. High, short kicks, they want you to field it around the 10 with a high, short kick, and they want to try to get their speed down the field to try to make a tackle. And when guys have broken tackles, they've been able to have some decent returns. They've only given up the one kick return touchdown to Monmouth. And uh, I think the rest, I don't think they had more than a 20-yard return. So they were able to, to get one there, Monmouth. But that will be interesting to see if they challenge Jacob Sailors and ETSUs, which they seem to want to challenge because they want to use their speed down the field. Can ETSU get an advantage? But I think this game, if somebody could run away and hide, the other team's a lot of trouble. But this game could simply come down to third down conversions and who can keep the other team's offense off the field. Because the one thing about Kennesaw State's defense, they don't have to play a lot of defense. I think Kennesaw State's top five time of possession yet again this year, over 33 minutes. Seventh time of Okay, so right at it. Right there. I mean, so seventh time of possession. You're talking about over 33 minutes of action. Their defense gets a sit. If you flip that, and all of a sudden their defense has to play 35 minutes, I think that changes everything they want to do. Plus, it shortens, again, the amount of offense and opportunities that they have. The higher possession game would favor ETSU, I would think. The lower possession where Kennesaw State has a 35-minute time of possession advantage, I think would clearly favor Kennesaw State in this one. Bucks have been great in time of possession, too, this year. So it's not a one sided argument there. Um, red zone is another place it could come down to. We mentioned they're best in the nation in red zone defense. ETSU for a lot of the year has been top five, top ten in the nation in red zone offense and defense. Uh, to me, you mentioned at the beginning of that last comment that they're up, you know, two, three scores and then they immediately give up a touchdown. And you face teams like North Alabama and Gardner-Webb and you have to grind it out to the very end. I just think they lack a killer instinct. I don't think it's there, and for that reason, I don't think that this game is going to sway drastically one way or another. I think it would be more likely to sway ETSU's way at home. Big crowd, Kennesaw State, probably thinking they're just going to walk in here like they have uh, at times during their FCS playoff runs, uh, whether it be home or road, against some Southern Conference teams, and just take the victory. Well, the Bucks' defense is very opportunistic, and it has been at its best snuffing out those drives once you're down to the 25-20 uh, deep in TTSU territory. Uh, red zone defense has been phenomenal for the Buccaneers, too. So keep an eye on red zone. But if there's one team I think has the killer instinct, and Kennesaw State fans won't like this, but I think it is ETSU, regardless of the fact that they have played a lot of tight games, um, 
even up in the championship game with that 38-35. I mean, you have to make plays, and when you have to make them, both teams have, right? But I think the one with the killer instinct is ETSU more than Kennesaw State because against bad teams, for the most part, ETSU has, uh, especially early on, uh, but even throughout the conference season from time to time as well, been able to do what they've needed to do, taking care of their business and blowing a few teams out. Um, Kennesaw State has as well, but those couple of games against UNA and Gardner-Webb really do stick out in the couple of situations you mentioned where it's three score games and then you give up a touchdown. Where can ETSU take advantage? The commonalities between that Gardner-Webb and UNA game, um, firstly, the two biggest point totals against FCS teams that the Owls have given up, and the success was through the air. Blake Dever for UNA, 21-32, 249, three touchdowns. Bailey Fisher for Gardner-Webb, 31-48, 350, and a touchdown. They are 18th in the country in total defense, Kennesaw State, but 34th in passing yards allowed. Offensively for Kennesaw, UNA and Gardner-Webb took away the explosiveness of the guy we talked about earlier, Ian Cousin. Five yards per carry or less in both games. In league play in the playoff game, he averaged eight yards per carry or more in all of those games all wins by multiple scores. Also, they really only got one big play on the ground both of those games, a 48-yarder by Kyle Glover, nothing else over 20 against UNA, 30-yarder from Xavier Shepard, nothing else over 17 against Gardner-Webb. I think they're going to get the big play through the air from time to time. I think that's almost a guarantee. But if you can limit to one or two the big plays on the ground and Stop being cousin from breaking a big one. I think that those are outside of the obvious stuff, turnovers, red zone, the things that we talk about every week, the things Randy Sanders talks about every week, the things that every good football coach runs down ad nauseum with their team and in the media. If you're talking about controlling one player, I think it's Ian Cousin. If you're talking about limiting one fast in the game, I think it's big plays on the ground. They'll get one or two. Anything more than that, Buffs could be in trouble. 13 touchdowns in the red zone allowed out of 31 trips that's 42 percent here's what's crazy they've given up 13 touchdowns outside the red zone in the last few weeks they've given up 50 plus yard touchdowns they're giving up massive plays and so i think the big plays are going to be there for each team this is not going to be a game where both running teams are just going to get six eight yards as a big play maybe the occasional 10-yard carry and the rest are three and four yards. I think you hit a little bit on the head. There's going to be big plays. Both sides will make big plays, and which one can make more of them. And then in the red zone, the good on good. ETSU's been great. I don't care about the 45 for 50. If you've heard us, it's 45 for 47. They've taken three knees after games are over with, and it counts because they took a knee in the red zone. They've been stopped twice in the red zone all season. And they've got more touchdowns this year than they've had in any other time in program history in the red zone. Kennesaw State is great at stopping teams in the red zone, period, from scoring. Not any type of score. And least amount of touchdowns given up, considering the percentage of times teams are in the red zone. So, to me, that's a huge factor. Third down red zone, big plays, I think all three of those. Here's a hidden one. The fan base. 10, 5, 11,000, whatever it's going to be. Option teams audible all the time at the line. Billy Taylor's going to do a cat-mouse game where he's going to try to line shift late. He's going to try to change the look. He's going to try to get the count off. The issue is, can Kennesaw State communicate that? Because every single option team, whether they call it opposite, whether they just call it a new play, whether they shift left or right, they, you know, call Larry out for the left or whatever it's going to be. Citadel, the first year in Thomas, Thomas, in Green Stadium, at halftime was so overwhelmed by the noise that they were going over different audibles at halftime to try to figure out because they couldn't communicate. And then the fan base, which the student section, who was creating the most noise at halftime, didn't come back. Now, that's not been a problem this year whatsoever. Everyone's been engaged. So for the 60 minutes, when they're on offense, if you could make as much noise as humanly possible to make it hard for them to hear the count because they use traditional snap count, so 
gets my jump off. If you get a false start, that's on the fan base. That is something you did to affect the game. If they're having trouble with their audibles and one guy goes the wrong way because he can't hear the audible, that's what the fan base can do to change games. And people say all the time, what's really advantage? I mean, playing home is just another game, blah, blah, blah. No. And ETSU or Kennesaw, whoever wins this, it goes up to North Dakota State. I've stood on that sideline two years ago. I can assure you it's going to be hard for ETSU to communicate those audibles if Tyler Rydell's trying to check into a different run. I think we try to be fair and objective in these breakdowns, and I think we have been today. But to sway away from that, yes, show up, be loud, because this is an opportunity not only to go to North Dakota State, not only to take the series lead, but this is going to reach a lot further than that, whether it be conference supremacy, whether it be the rivalry that I – some don't want to call it a rivalry – I think it's been brewing under the surface for a while and has a chance to continue to grow. And quite frankly, for a lot of people listening to this, uh, the day-by-day grind of championing the Bucks on Twitter is going to be a lot easier if you go and win this game because if you don't, then Kennesaw State is just going to go back to the same, oh, look, see, yeah, you are who we thought you were, um, regardless of what conference they end up in. So, yeah, what you can do is show up, be there, make some noise, and quite honestly – End of the Mercer game? I mean, you've been in every game, minus one or two for personal reasons, uh, in Green Stadium. I have been to maybe five or six. That was as loud as I've heard it. I can't imagine there would be a lot else that would come to mind for you. No. If you if you were engaged for that one, you would have to be out of your mind engaged on this one. And I think that's the, the one advantage of playing at home at this time of year can bring to you. And make, and I know Kansas State again. They won all the road games, right? Played Georgia Tech, but I don't know that they would run into the bus saw that could be the eleven. Because Georgia Tech Stadium, they're not on top of the field like they are at Green Stadium. So I think there's a huge advantage there. And I know if you're a Kansas State fan, you can say, "Well, listen, we won, you know, seventeen thousand people at Jacksonville State. I was at a game at Jacksonville State where they listed." 18,000, and I assure you there were 300 people in the stands, and Jackson State is the biggest liar of all time, especially when it's Thanksgiving weekend. I'm not taking that win away because that was the first time they'd ever been to the playoffs and they won a road game and won by 10. So I think Kennesaw State is a battle-tested team that won't be rattled for 60 minutes, but can you affect the game enough early? Can you do things that late maybe – where they're trying to make a comeback, and they've got to do some different stuff. And I don't know that – actually, I know this. If Kennesaw State wins, it does not mean the Big South is better than no. Southern Conference. But you know that's how it's going to be portrayed. And it doesn't mean necessarily that the Southern is better than that. It just means that the conference champion of one league beat the conference champion of the other league. Now, top to bottom, if you go – and I know there's more teams in the Southern Conference, but if you go one through six or whatever it is for the Big South, the lineup one through six of the SOCON, you're not going to convince me. No. The SoCon isn't going to win that going away. I don't care away. what happens this week. He'll never but convince me. You're either. not going to convince me of that. But We went through a lot of that on Monday, if you want to go back and listen to that show. It right. was all right there. So this is about two good football teams that are going to battle, and ETSU got the seed. Let's think about Kennesaw State's also got that chip on their shoulder. Why don't we get the seed? We won all of our FCS games. You lost Chattanooga, you know. Why do you get it? Just because you beat a bad Vandy, right? Or whatever the, the argument is on their side. ETSU side is, well, we lost Chattanooga, who beat North Alabama, who you had a hard time beating North Alabama, both at their place. And you lost your power five and game. You lost your power five, five game. And Georgia Tech, who won one more game than Vanderbilt and was not a world leader either. So there's things on each. I don't necessarily think that Kennesaw State fans are crazy for thinking that they should have gotten a seed. I, I really don't. You look at the resume, and it is pretty impressive. But – for all the reasons that we have said in the second half of this first segment of this show, I think, and wearing blue and gold sunglasses a bit, obviously, because we do on this show, um, I think the right choice was made. That being said, I can see the argument from Kennesaw State side. They are very good. I do not know who's going to win this game. I hope it's the Bucks. I'm not surprised Kennesaw State is favored. They've been here more. And, and, and it's hard if you're a Kennesaw State fan, too, to sit there and go, man, what do we got to do to really get a national seed? We win all of our FCS games. You got teams with three losses up there again, home games. ETSU's this new kid on the block that you know we're we beat 
once. They beat us. But, I mean, we've been in the playoffs. They haven't. We've won playoff games. They have. I mean, it's easy to see if you're a Kennesaw State fan how you would have a chip on your shoulder. Or Kennesaw State players, you could see how you could have a chip on your shoulder and having to go win another road game. And, you know, they can easily shut everyone's mouth and go. I mean, Craig Hawley's already uh, – Predicted them to win. Haley, sorry, Craig Haley's already predicted them to win on his uh, FCS analyst. 31-29. Sam Herter said that this was the second most likely upset of the weekend. I, I mean, it, knocked my mic off my table. I, was I know, you're, 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 not, you're not excited about that. But, I, I mean, again, I think you look at history and Kennesaw State, if they're not rattled early, it's sort of a been there, done it. If ETSU gets off to a weird start, is it because, you know, hey, they're they're too juiced up? Is the moment a little too big for them? I mean, we have questions about Tyler Rodell going in the conference championship game. I don't know if he's going to eat the same thing, wear the same thing, talk to the same people, tie a shoe a certain way, or oh, whatever it was. he throws the ball the same way, that'd be great. But everything to get to that. If you get that Tyler Rydell, I honestly don't know when the Bucks would lose in the playoffs if they lose in the playoffs if you got that Tyler Rydell. I agree. And if we could get that this week, that would be spectacular. Only thing I know is we have a pregame show at 1230. I will be juiced up and screaming in the microphone extra early. It's at Green Stadium because Kansas State didn't get the seed. Who do you sucks to be you? Go Bucks. <laughs> How long are we in this thing? Do we, do we want to go over anything else? Just bowl predictions. Just well, wrap uh, we've got a little bit on the playoff matchup. Right, we'll we'll all right, we'll, we'll, short we'll, stuff. We'll, we'll short stuff, playoffs. We'll give you our thoughts on that coming up on San Jose Kick. On the Buccaneers. Where's that work? You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. Show they know it's not true. All right, it doesn't matter. Let's go over. Uh, where you, uh, you want to start? Top start bracket, Friday. Bracket, start well, Friday. Oh, start okay. Friday, and then, yeah. uh, game times. Okay. Two Friday night matchups. One I'm really excited about is the Walter Payton Award finalist Eric Barrier in Eastern Washington against the number six seed Montana. Eastern Washington has often been on the seeded side, but with two losses, coming by four combined points to Weber State, Montana State. They go on the road to Montana, who they actually beat by six earlier this year. <sighs> yeah. I It'll be interesting to see. Eastern Washington's kind of gone a different direction than um, what Montana's done. And Montana, I don't know if you watched any of the Brawl in the Wild, but that place was rock. It looked like so much fun. I it saw pictures. Was, I did not watch, but it looked like so much fun. I, I only watched probably eight minutes of it. But on, like, the third play, it was like a 65-yard touchdown pass where somebody got lost. And, I mean, as the receivers running into the end zone, looking up at the scoreboard, they had an aerial shot of the whole play, of everyone almost in unison standing up as the ball was thrown, just going bonkers. Wow. It was unbelievable. So if Montana gets that, and I think they will, then I think Montana is going to win this game and move on. The other matchup came in seventh of eight on Hero Sports' list of likely upsets, so that actually means that it's not projected to be an upset at all. Eight of eight would be the lowest likelihood. Holy Cross visiting Villanova. Only losses this year for the Wildcats to Penn State, and then kind of an odd one at home to William Mary by 13 at the end of October. Holy Cross beat Sacred Heart 13-10 to 10 in the first round. They beat up on a weak Patriot League, winning every conference game by 19 or more. But this could be a rude wake-up call for a team that hasn't lost since getting smoked by third-place Ivy League team Harvard by 25 back in early October. And uh, Holy Cross has been road dogs, right? 6-0, and I think them in Eastern Washington. If you were to point to two teams, they're both Friday night playing, the 6-0, and the best road records in all of FCS. And I, I just – Holy Cross, what a miracle, like, throw late in the game to pick up the win last week. I think Villanova – just too much for him. I think, you know, if Holy Cross maybe didn't play last week, more of a shot, but I think playing last week, the energy 
to carry on to that game of Villanova just sitting there waiting. I think the uh, Villanova Wildcats win. The big day Saturday, let's just start with the easy one. Now we can go down the seeds. I, I think it's safe to say the defending champions are through the FCS quarterfinals. Sam Houston State hosting UIW. Do you agree Sam Houston hasn't lost since November 16, 2019? Totally agree. Going to NDSU, are you willing to say the same about the Bison? They play Southern Illinois. This obviously of much importance to ETSU fans and Kennesaw State fans because of the winter Saturday of this game. And the Bucks and Owls face each other. Everyone wants to point to the 38-14 win for Southern Illinois in the spring over the Bison, but that was a weird year. NDSU rested a lot of their players. North Dakota State has won 35 straight after open weeks. They've won 72 of their last 74 non-conference games at home. Do you want to know the last 12 years what they are at home in the playoffs? Yeah. 28-1. Who was the one? Ooh, that's a good question. Ah. Uh, off the top of my head, I do Was it Southern Illinois? No, Probably it was not. not. It was not Southern Illinois. And if they wouldn't have won 38-14 uh, in the spring, I would give them a puncher's chance. But because I'm sure they're showing that on repeat, everyone's talked about it, I think North Dakota State is going to, what's it, uh, stomp the old mud hole and walk it dry on them. Sam Houston 1, NDSU 2. The 3 seed is JMU, and I think they've got an interesting one against Southeastern Louisiana, if for no other reason than the fact that the man I think is going to win the Walter Payton Award plays for Sella, Cole Kelly. These numbers are outrageous. 4,727 passing yards, a 74% completion percentage, 42 passing touchdowns, but also 16 rushing touchdowns. JMU is obviously JMU, very impressive. Only one loss this year. It was by a single point to Villanova. The Dukes will throw the number two defense in the country at Kelly and Sella. I think that that is the most fun matchup of the weekend, Kelly versus that defense. I think Kelly is going to be successful and going to get points on the board. The problem is I don't know that the Dukes will be stopped on the other side of the ball, and I think it is going to be like a 42-31 Dukes win. I do not believe you're selling on Sella. I am, I, but I, but in the same token, I'm and JMU. You look at defensive numbers they got and turnovers they got and everything. I still think they're going to get turnovers. I think they'll get short fields. JMU will be able to take advantage of the short field and get scores or have defensive touchdowns. But I just think Sella is going to be able to put some points on the board. The fourth seed in the nightcap for the festivity Saturday is Sacramento State. Sam Herder called this a surprise if unseeded SDSU doesn't win over the four seed. Vegas agrees. Eight-and-a-half-point underdogs are the home team and the number four seeded Hornets. They ran the table in the big sky, but the Missouri Valley's SDSU are the favorites of many in this one, and even if it ends up not being true, I'm going to call this classic Missouri Valley Conference bias. You know, the bad thing is the big sky uh, has had some trouble. Well, it's more on the road. They've had a lot of trouble winning on the road around, but you look at the last few years and – They've not been as well in the playoffs as you think they have been. I think the bias is that the Big Sky is somehow this dominant conference and gets five or six teams in when you look at the reality of the Southern Conference. They've got more teams in. But uh, maybe that's my bias on my end. I'm not sure. But I do think South Dakota State is going to beat Sacramento State because I just don't believe the Big Sky was as good this year as what they think they are. I don't think either of the conferences are as good as they think they are, and both of them should go away. Very factual, based in evidence, okay. evidentiary, Jason. Okay, I'll let you down that point. That was the one through four. <laughs> Villanova is the five. We talked about them. Montana is the six. We talked about them. The Buccaneers are the seven. If you want to hear that breakdown, obviously there's about 50 minutes of it there for you at the beginning of the show. The eight is Montana State. UT Martin going to Bozeman to take on the second-place finishers in the Big Sky. Credit to the Skyhawks. I'm quite sure that this is the most and probably only exciting thing to happen to the school in their history, having been to the place. They defeated the Doubters and their opponent in week one of the FCS playoffs, 32-31 over number 10, Missouri State. Take that, Missouri Valley. Will the Skyhawks do it again, or will the bell toll in Bozeman? I guess the question is, who's the quarterback for Martin? You know, they weren't the backup last week. They're all OVC uh, starting quarterback. Uh, Keon Howard missed the game, and they still were able to go there and win on the road at Missouri State against Petrino, so... I kind of, and here's the other thing. I think Montana State, you look at their big sky, they didn't play a couple of the upper echelon teams as well. Because, again, it's one of those situations where a little bit of a super conference, they've got more, 
you know, they can't play more than eight conference games, and you know, you've got 13 or whatever teams, and so there's some matchups they don't get, and so they get a benefit of the doubt by not playing all the big teams, which is smart schedule by the big sky, right? Don't have your top five, six teams play each other every year. Let them beat up on other teams, and then we get six teams in, and they all lose in the playoffs, which is what they've been doing. <laughs> so, uh, all right, I'm going to UT Martin out of the blue here. Just, just uh, me talking myself into that? No, I think uh, I think UT Martin's run will end, um, but I do think UT Martin will give them fits, and I think this will be a one-score game in Montana State. Uh, will win by a field goal, and uh, if the starting quarterback's back, I don't know. Maybe I'll bet you're off UT Martin could pull off the shocker. So it sounds like your lock is Sam Houston and or NDSU. Yes. And your upset guarantee is not even really an upset at all. It would be SDSU over Sacramento State. Yes, and my next one would be UT Martin. Next one would be UT Martin. Okay. If we're to hand I think Villanova would be my third lock if you wanted. I, I think Sella has a better chance against JMU than I think Holy Cross is against Villanova. Yeah, and I don't know that those are good chances. If you're to handicap the Walter Payton Award, Ugh. I mean, it's Cole Kelly, isn't it? Clay Holmes is going to finish top three, and if he does, that's absurd. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going Kelly one. I would go Holmes two. And what, who do you go three? Shepard's got an argument. Barrier's got an argument. Probably Barrier. I would go Barrier. If I were to caution, because option quarterbacks just don't get the love as regular quarterbacks. Uh, the regular passing dual, traditional dual threat quarterbacks always get all the love. So I'm going to, uh, maybe it's biased, i put Holmes two. But I'm going to say barrier three and then, yeah. Randy was not too happy last night when I suggested that all quarterbacks are overrated in Quay Shield. I mean, he's happy about the Quay part, but. Being a quarterback himself, uh, he, he did not find he, – he went into a whole long diatribe about how quarterbacks are important and they're – You know, you should have asked him – You can't win without one. You should have asked him how he felt about Charles Woodson beating his guy Peyton Manning for the Heisman. That would have really got him going. Should have really got him cooking. If we had more time. Should have got him cooking there. Extend the coaches show. I'm sure you'd love that. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I would love the coaches show. If we can extend the – You really? I would love the coaches show. I would because you know what that means. No, I don't. We're still winning in the playoffs, baby. No, no, no. I mean longer each week, like two hours. Oh, yeah. I don't think so. make fun of me too much. Plus 10 here. Hit a buck 20. Max. Did you put in my gym ball take again? I think you did. Five, I said 20, 21. You thought I meant spring. I don't think so. I don't recall that one. Get you something there. All right, what are you talking NIL stands for never in life. As a never in life will NIL be a real thing. No, you can't. You cannot show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. A newly fit Jay Sandoz will never scout another drive at Johnson City Country Club Senior Tour. Here we come. Bold prediction time. What's her tally? I'm up a lot. You got none? Um, 12 to 4. You're ahead. And and if Georgia wins against Alabama, I'm going to get another long-termer uh, because Alabama and Clemson would not be in. Yeah. And my boy right now, Rydell, and the ETSU quarterbacks over 62%. Thankfully, you did not get three SoCon wins by more than one score. Which is garbage. Uh, and I have none of mine are even close. Now, Quay or Jacob could go for four touchdowns, or Will Huzzy or Nate Atkins or John Martin for one-yard touchdowns in the passing game. Well, how Saturday. crazy in the bo- – would you I would jump lose out him. of the yeah, booth if Martin had four touchdowns? Yeah, okay. uh, I think he may get kicked out for being too loud. Even though you're yes, okay. yes, the, the bias at that point would be out of control. These are all Kennesaw State ETSU bold predictions, as it should be on a playoff week, correct? Yes, and these are bold. If somehow they you are bold. Kennesaw State and you're listening here, these are bold for reasons. Bold yeah, predictions for reasons. Don't repurpose this and say, oh, look at these ETSU guys are idiots. They think these things are going to happen. These are bold these predictions. These are very bold predictions. I'm going to go 30-30-40. What I mean, ETSU will have a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown, each over 30 yards, and a, over a 40-yard field goal. 30-30-40. It's a 100-yard field, Mike. I don't know if you did that math, but 30-34. Well, technically it's 120 yards, but I That's won't true. argue That's with you on this. Uh, against Kennesaw State, the first two games, ETSU played them, 2.6 and 2.5 yards per carry. Mm. Not great. Not very good. They will more.
more than double that this time around. Kennesaw State is averaging 3.9 yards per carry, giving up. So in case you're saying, oh, that's not bold, well, they're averaging, giving up 3.9. But ETSU is tremendous rushing attack. And that doesn't include sacks and losses and everything. Tremendous rushing attack will average at least 5.2 on the ground. And hopefully it's skewed by at least a 30-yard touchdown run. Right. Uh, let's, uh, I'm going to go return game. I think the Bucks are going to have a return of 56 yards or more. 56? Or more. Uh, the same amount of points that they scored against Western Carolina. I see what you're doing. Sailors averaging 28 yards kick return. Double that. They're going to dare them. I'm going, I'm, I'm going 56 or more yards on a return. Can you name the Bucks two 100-yard receiving performances this year? And I'm kind of shocked when I look back. It was only two. Only two. One Are you surprised by that? It seemed low to me. I, I, I thought am. there were more than that. One was Huzzy. Versus? Was that Chat? No. Uh, no. VMI. No. I don't know. Earlier in the year. Uh, was it one of the non D? Nope. 55 points. Oh, Sanford? Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, forgot about that one. Uh, the other 100 yards? This one's sneaky, which should give you a hint. Holmes yes, because he had the long, the he had the yard long screen. screen. The Bucks will have a 100-yard receiver this weekend. That is not Quay Holmes or Will Husband. It will be somebody Ooh. different, 100-yard okay. receiver. I like that one. Uh, Bucks or Kennesaw State's averaging giving up 18 points a game. Bucks will double that, 36 or more points in the ball game. I'm going the opposite way. ETSU is averaging 35 points per game. Kennesaw State averaging 32 per game. Neither team will score more than 21. We're talking – a high-level defensive fight. football game. War in the trenches. It is going to be a battle oh. to get to the FCS quarterfinals. I can't wait. Let's go. I can't wait. I'm going to go set up my gear. Today's Thursday. I'm going to go set it up today. And you will not leave the booth until Saturday up. after the yeah, game. You will be there for the next 48 hours. Okay. Your family, wife, if friends are wondering. If they didn't have FaceTime so I could see my kids, or they, they, or they can come see me there. Yes. I have the key. They can just come see me there. This is how big this is. You, you are going to... It's almost like a strike against work, but for work. People True. want hunger strikes. Yes. It's like a football strike. I'm striking until the kick. That's right. 2 o'clock. 12.30 for a game show. That's one of the covers for you. Monday, we're going to recap... Oh, man. I can't even see you on Monday all the time. It's like there's something Saturday. Monday is a whole other dimension. It could be a three-hour podcast or, I don't know. Three-minute podcast. I was going to go 38 seconds. (laughs) All right, Sandoz, thank you. We'll be back with you Monday. Buccaneers, where's that work?